for sermons to get through the book of Mark. So some of you thought that it was never going to end. And uh, we, we were in there for, for, I think, almost two years. We were there for quite some time. And now as we've came to the book of Jonah, I think we're on about the sixth lesson or so through the book of Jonah. And we only have a couple more weeks left, okay? And so we're, we're quickly making our way through the book of Jonah. In fact, we're going to finish up the entire chapter number three today. And so we'll only have one chapter left. And we've been just flying through. It's been a blessing as we've been studying it, been looking at it, at a familiar passage of Scripture, a familiar book in the Bible. And uh, for many of us, we've, we've heard the story of Jonah uh, all of our lives. If you grew up in church, you grew up, uh, I remember growing up with the flannel graph board. How many of you grew up and you had a flannel graph board? And you're, yes, okay, good. Uh, so you'll, you'll identify. I remember the blue flannel graph board, and I remember them taking the, the, the little Jonah and putting it on there, and then putting the, the fish on there, and then they'd take Jonah and they'd hide him behind the fish because he went into the belly of the whale, you know. And I can remember that so vividly as a child. And, and if you had asked me, what's the story of Jonah? I'd have told you, well, it's the story of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish. But as we mentioned on that first, wor- first week, the word fish is only found about, you know, three times in like two verses in the book of Jonah. In fact, the Bible is very little to talk about Jonah and the fish. Uh, it's, it's a very different story. In fact, the entire book of Jonah, the emphasis, and we're going to see it this morning, is not about Jonah and a fish. It's about Jonah and God's mercy. The mercy of God, the grace of God that's shown to Jonah. The mercy and the grace of God that's shown to some mariners. The mercy and the grace of God that's shown to Nineveh. And we're going to see that this morning. I've so enjoyed diving into it, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. As we get started, let's have a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's help. And then we're going to dive into chapter number 3 together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the power that it has to be able to convict. The power that your word has to transform lives. Lord, I thank you for the power that your word has to divide and, and Lord, to conquer, Lord, sin and lives. And Lord, I pray that today that your word would have the freedom to move in our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord, for each person that's here. I have no doubt, Lord, there are things that, that are going on in our lives, things that are coming up. Maybe we have places to be even after the service today. I pray, Lord, for a few moments you'd help us to bring our thoughts into captivity. And Lord, may we be able to focus on your word and the message, Lord, that you have for us this morning. God, I look forward to how you're going to work. Again, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Help me, God, to say only those things that you desire for me to say. And God, I pray that everything that's said, everything that's done, God, would be for your honor and for your glory. And we pray all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. Jonah chapter number three. We're going to look beginning in verse number three. The Bible says this in verse number three. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. As we've known, as we've seen over these last few weeks, Jonah had quite the week, or, or maybe even longer than that, it could have been as much as a month or so, that Jonah was running from God. Now listen, you thought you had a bad week, but I mean, you really think about it. I mean, Jonah, there he was, he, he, he ran down to Joppa, fleeing from the presence of God. He found himself on a boat in the middle of a storm. While he's in the middle of the storm, he finds out that the reason that this storm is there is because of him and his rebellion to God. And so Jonah finds himself thrown into a sea, believing that this was the end. He thought that was going to be the end of his life. Jonah thought that that, that was, that was the, the end-all, be-all. That was the moment that he was going to meet his, his God. 
But as we know, the Bible tells us that God created a fish in verse number 10 of chapter number 1 that came and swallowed up Jonah and and, and took him. And and Jonah was in the belly of that well, that fish, for three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights in the belly of that fish, the Bible tells us that then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God, which is just absolutely phenomenal because it took Jonah three days and three nights to finally repent, finally come to God. Jonah was in that fish's belly, and finally, I mean, as you come to the end of that passage, he thought he didn't know if he was ever going to get out of there, but then that fish, it spits him up onto the land, and now as he stands up, and he's dusting all the sand off of his body, and the slime, and, and the nastiness from being in that fish, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, as we saw, and, and, and he speaks to Jonah, he says, Jonah, go and preach that message that I told you to preach all the way back at the very beginning. Listen, it had been a rough few days for Jonah. It had been a rough week. And we come to verse number three. And after God has given Jonah that command the second time, Jonah finally obeys God's command. Look again there at verse number three. So Jonah rose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Jonah, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Verse number three is in direct contrast to verses uh, two and three of chapter number one of Jonah. Listen to what the Bible said in verses two and three. Again, the Bible tells us that the Lord comes to, to Jonah and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me, God tells Jonah. And what did Jonah do? But Jonah arose to flee unto Tarshish, the Bible says. Directly in contrast. But now here we are in chapter number 3. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And this time, Jonah does this thing. Jonah arose, just like he did the first time. But this time he makes the right decision. He obeys God's command. He went unto Nineveh, the Bible tells us. Uh, This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord. You know, while we give Jonah a hard time, at least he learned after the first lesson, okay? Uh, at least he didn't have to be thrown back into the sea again. Uh, the truth is, is most of us, uh, we're, we're, more, we're more hard than even Jonah is. And, and it, takes even, it takes two and three and four times before God finally gets our attention. And we actually do what he tells us to do and we actually respond to him. But praise God for a God of second chances as we saw last week. As Jonah was now approaching the city of of Nineveh, no doubt the, the light of the city would have lit the sky from a great distance away. Many Bible scholars have pointed and said that, that Nineveh was, was a massive city. In fact, the Bible, when it talks in verse number two or verse number three, it says Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. It's not talking about the distance away that Jonah had to travel. It's talking about how long it took to get around the city. They, they have looked and archaeologists have looked and they said that the circumference of the city of Nineveh was roughly 60 miles around. It was a large city. It, a day's journey was considered about 20 miles, and, and thus it would take three days to pass through this massive city. We talked on the first week about how on the inside of that city, there was a, a part of the city that had an inner wall that protected the most precious parts of that city, the, the king's uh, castle and, 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 and many of the, the most important parts. That, that wall that surrounded there uh, the, in the middle part of that city was about 50 feet wide and 100 feet tall, and it was about 8 miles in circumference. This was a massive, massive wall that would have been able to be seen for a great distance 
distance away. And with the potential of the city of Nineveh having somewhere around 600,000 residents in this city, it was no doubt a city of power. It was a city of influence. But we know one thing above all, it was a city of wickedness. City of wickedness. We've spoken in weeks past of of the city of Nineveh as the Assyrians, the Gentile Assyrians, they were direct enemies of God's people, Israel. And they would, they would seek to do everything that they could to destroy God's people, to destroy the Israelites, to take over the kingdom. And they hated anybody that would identify as a follower of God. And their, their forms of tur- torture were many and excruciating and unbelievable, some of the things that they came up with. Listen, this was a wicked, wicked city. And now Jonah, the prophet of God approaches this city. A city that despises Israel with a message from God. In verse number 4, we see that Jonah finally reaches his destination. And he proclaims that message. The Bible says in verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city about a day's journey, so maybe 20 miles or so into the city, now he's made it. And he cried and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now listen, all the way back in chapter number 1, verse number 2, God had given Jonah this message. All the way back at the very beginning, God had spoken to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to that city. I want you to cry out against it because their wickedness has come up against me. And he said, Jonah, I want you to go to that city and I've got a message that I want you to preach to them, Jonah. I've got a message that I want you to declare to them. The entire time that Jonah was on that ship, you know he was reciting that message. He, he had it in the back of his mind. The entire time he was in the belly of that fish, I mean, he's thinking through this little message that he had to preach that God had given to him. Now on the journey, as he made his way to Nineveh, he's reciting, he's rehearsing this message. Listen, Jonah had his message memorized. You know he had it down pat as a preacher. Oftentimes, I'll try to take time and really just go back over and over and over again to a message to try to make sure that I understand it because I went to the best of my ability to try to memorize my message and and to be able to know the message that I'm going to preach. Listen, you can know Jonah's a prophet of God with a message from God. He he had this message memorized. Now, there was a reason that Jonah's message was a little easier to memorize than maybe the message that I'm preaching this morning. And some of you here this morning would say, Kyle, we wish that you would go to the seminary that Jonah went to instead of the one that you went to. Because when Jonah stood up to preach... His message was only eight words, eight words long. And all of you are saying, amen, that's a, that's a good message. <laughs> Jonah walks in there. And I don't know, probably cleared his throat. And he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. All oh, this message that he's been memorizing for days and weeks even. Finally, it comes to fruition. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In the middle of this hostile, wicked nation, Jonah opens his mouth and proclaims this message from the Lord. Eight simple words. And they were powerful. 
But listen, the reason that they were so powerful was not because of the style of preacher that Job was. It wasn't because he said the words with such force. It wasn't because he was so eloquent. There's only so many ways that you can say eight words, okay? No, no, no. It wasn't because Jonah was some preacher that was just so right with God. I mean, look at his life. No, the reason that the words were so powerful, contrary to what some of you are thinking, what was because of the length of the message. No, no, no. Listen, the reason it was so powerful was because they were the words of God. They were the words that God had given him to speak. I've had the incredible blessing in my life and and probably many of you to to be able to sit under some of the most incredible orators, speakers, preachers of the gospel. Growing up in Indiana and and, and in in the ministry that I did, we had many people that that came in and and would preach. And and I can reflect back on some preachers that, listen, they could just captivate you with their stories. I mean, they they would go into stores and and, and I was, I I forget, I I think maybe it was Isaac I was talking to recently, but I I can remember some preachers that would stand up and they would preach for, for an hour or more and you'd be sitting there thinking, oh, I still want more. This is so good. I mean, just, I mean, the way that they could speak. I can remember messages as a teenager at camp where I was sitting there and and messages were, were given, and, and maybe a story was told that stuck with me, even to this day. And, and it had such a profound impact. And I, I'm grateful for, for many of the speakers and the preachers that I've been able to hear of the past, and, and many that are still in existence today that have an incredible ability to craft their words in such a way that, that they're just so captivating. But listen, friend, there's one thing that I've learned as time has gone on. Though the stories that they told were certainly stories that oftentimes made messages stick, the stories didn't change my life. Though there were certain preachers that would preach with the ferocity that, that, would, that would captivate my attention that maybe others did not, it wasn't the preacher's voice or the way that they said things that held the power. In other words, there was one thing that God promised to bless and to use. The common denominator for every message, any message in my life that impacted my life in such a powerful way that transformed the direction of my life and made it a lasting impact. The common denominator, you want to know what it was? It was the Word of God. Because God never promises to bless an outline, though they're helpful. God never says that He's going to bless a certain illustration, though oftentimes they shed light on a subject. He never promises to, to, give, uh, to give power because a preacher gets loud, even though some of you are saying, I wish you'd get a little bit quieter today, Kyle. Well, all of those things are fine and often helpful. There is only one thing He promises to bless, and that is His Word. Paul said it this way in Hebrews chapter number twelve, number 4, verse number 12. He says, for the word of God is quick. This is cool. That word quick, it literally means alive. It's alive. We know according to, to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16, that, that God's word was given by inspiration of God, that God breathed into it. And that's a cool study because there's two things in the scripture that God breathed into. 
Genesis, he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and it became a living soul. And the Bible tells us he breathed into his word, and it became a living book. That's why you can read it, and you can see things you've never seen before, because God's word is constantly working. Oh, how powerful. His word is quick. Listen, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. What's that mean? Listen, it's powerful when it goes out and it's powerful when it comes in. Piercing even to the divining asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Listen, it gets into every nook and cranny of your life. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word is powerful. In Isaiah 55, verse number 11, uh, Isaiah said it this way, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of thy mouth, God says. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. He says it will not fail when my word goes forth. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's written by by a man named Solomon. Many of us would recognize him. He was a son of David. And Solomon, as as uh, he started out his life, and, and, and the Bible tells us that he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom above anybody else that had ever lived. And not only did he give him wisdom, but God blessed him with riches and, and, and with wealth. And I mean, it's just absolutely incredible all that God gave him. But while Solomon, in all of his wisdom, made a dumb decision. He loved many strange women, the Bible tells us. And his love for many strange women turned his heart from God. That's what the Bible says. That's, that's what happened to him. And, and, and Solomon, towards the end of his life, wrote, wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And you read the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm just going to be honest with you. You want to get depressed. I mean, he's going through it. And he's like, listen, guys, I want you to tell. I want to just tell you something. Everything's vanity. Okay? It's all just a waste. I mean, I mean, he's just going through it And it's like, oh, man, Solomon, come on, man. You know? And, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter number three, we, we, uh, we often see that, you know, there's a, there's a time to love and there's a time for, uh, but then there's a time for, to die. You know, and it's just like, oh man, Solomon, you know, I mean, I mean, he's just, he's just real. I mean, really, but he gets to the end and in chapter number 12, he's really kind of wrapping things up. And in chapter number 12, he says some interesting verses. In verse number nine, he says this, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, okay, he's, he's speaking kind of of himself. He says he still taught the people knowledge. Okay, and he says this, Yea, he gave, gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs, okay? And listen to what he says. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And, and that which was written was upright, even the words of truth. In John chapter number 17, verse number 17, the Bible tells us, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is Truth. So, so what was what was Solomon pointing to here? He said, "Listen, the preacher was seeking to give acceptable words. Words. He, he said he was trying to to give words that were going to penetrate. Words that were going to work. He, he was seeking to to give out these words. And he said, "What were these words? These words were the words of truth. What was it? You can mark it down. It was the words of of the word of God." He, he was giving the, the commandments of the scriptures. He was reading through the, the Torah. He was writing these things. He was reading these things. That's what he was giving to the people. But, but listen what he goes on to say. Because he gives us the intention and the goal as he preached those words. This is, this is so good. Verse number 11. The words of the wise. This is going to help you. 
theirs as goats. Everybody here is like, oh, that's just that's so beautiful. Goats, you know. And, and as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Everybody in here says, oh, I just love the goats, you know. And, and, uh, and how many of you are like me or like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's how I was whenever I first read that. What well, was a goat? Well, especially here in Montana, many people, there, there's some that know what that is. A goat was a prod. Something to prod the ox around. The ox was plowing the field. Or they had to go to goad him to get him going and, and get that cow, cow, cow moving today. Uh, maybe you use a hot shot, right? You know, and to, I remember Tressa telling me she, she grew up with a, with a dad who was a, was a rancher. And, and uh, she's told me before of uh, uh, times where her siblings uh, used hot shots for things that they weren't intended to be used for, you know? Uh, that, what did they do? They prodded you, okay, you know? And, uh, you know, that was, that was what they... And, and listen, what was it? It was to prod the ox, to, to move, to go, to get up, to, to, to get moving, okay? That, that was what it was used for. But then he says not only that, he says it, it was like, like, like some nails, used as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. What was Solomon saying? Solomon desire, his desire was that the word of God would challenge the listener to move forward in their relationship with God and to not soon forget to have the message fastened in their minds and in their heart. A message that the Bible says came from one shepherd and you can mark it down. That message was from the good shepherd. Paul wrote to the believers at Thessalonica. He commanded them on how they he commended them rather on how they received the word of God. Listen to what he said about them in 1 Thessalonians 2:13. He says, "For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men." Oh listen. "But as but it as in, as it is in truth the word of God." which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Listen, friend, this book, it's not just words from men. God used men to pen the Scriptures, yes, but the Bible tells us holy men of God moved, were moved by the Holy Ghost to pen the Scriptures. You can mark it down. The words that you read in this book, they are the words of God. And when Jonah opened up his mouth on that day and he proclaimed that little eight-word message, listen, it was so powerful, not because of the way that Jonah said it, not because of the excitement that he had. In fact, I have a feeling when Jonah got there in Nineveh, the way he felt about the Ninevites that we're going to see in chapter number four, he probably walked in there and said, hey, listen, guys, uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. I mean, it was, it was kind of like, you know, I mean, like he didn't even want to tell them. Uh, he didn't want to be there. He was a reluctant prophet to go there and even preach that message. No, no, no. The power was not in his words or the way that he said them. The power was in God's word that was being proclaimed. And so as Jonah stood and he proclaimed those words, look with me as we see the people's response. Look at verse number five. This is is stunning. So the people of Nineveh, just look at this first part. They believed God 
Upon hearing Jonah's pronouncement from the Lord, the unthinkable happens. This wicked, evil, idolatrous, Israel-hating Assyrian people believed God. What a novel thought. They heard God's word, and they believed it. That's incredible. But it didn't stop there. Because look what happened next. Not only did they believe God, but they proclaimed to fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came into the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and the noble saying, But neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from their evil way and from the violence of, uh, uh, that is in their hand. What happened? Not only did they believe God, but listen... This is, this is foundational. This is huge. They didn't just believe God. They acted upon that belief. I know, you're stunned. <laughs> the message of the coming destruction made it all the way to the king's ears. And he puts out a decree. He makes every man, woman, child, and animal put on sackcloth. And fast. Sackcloth was that itchy uh, garment that, that, off, that was a bag that they, they, would, they would take and they would put on it. And it was itchy. And, and it, was a, it was a sign of, of a, a material sign, a, a physical sign of sorrow, of mourning, of repentance. We know when, when Job lost his family, what did he do? He, he went out and he put on sackcloth and, and sat in ashes, the Bible tells us. It was, a, it was a mourning. It was a brokenness. They were turning from their evil way. And this is stunning. Why? Because listen to what the Bible says in Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and, and listen, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and will hear, heal their land. But, but listen, that verse was written to Israel specifically. And this was Nineveh. These were Assyrians. These were Gentiles. And yet, here they are humbling themselves and, and praying and seeking God's face and, and turning from their wicked weight. Now listen, I was told by the cemetery, I mean, seminary professors that 2 Chronicles 7.14 was just for Israel. So how could some Gentiles claim it for themselves? I mean, come on, today, I mean, like, come on, 2 Chronicles 7.14, that was written for Israel's, not for us today, right? So, come on. Well, verse number nine. The king says, who can tell? Who knows? If God will turn and repent, turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. After everyone humbling themselves and praying and fasting, the king makes this striking statement. What's he saying? He says, listen, we're going to do all we can do. But mercy is in God's hands. 
You remember a couple weeks ago when we got to the end of chapter number two? It's kind of neat how Jonah weaves these things together. Got to the end of chapter number two. In verse number nine, Jonah's there in the belly of that fish, and finally he, he starts to come return back to the Lord. He says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay thee what I vowed. And he says, this salvation is of the Lord. You know what he was saying there? He was saying, God, I'm going to, to do all that I can do. But deliverance, mercy, God, is, is in your hands. It's fascinating to me. It's, it's almost like there is a message that God was trying to get across. Verse number 10, we find God's answer to their repentance. I mean, here they are. I mean, they're repenting. They're doing everything that they can do in their power. God, we are so sorry. God, we are so broken. God, we're doing everything that we can to demonstrate our, our brokenness over our sin and our life and everything that we can do. And the king says, God, we're going to do everything that we can do. And God, mercy is in your hands. In verse number 10, and God saw their works. This is, listen, we can't miss this. That they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. When God saw their repentance, don't, don't miss this, he saw their works, he saw their heart. God gave this wicked, undeserving nation mercy. He didn't destroy it. It's almost like you could say that he healed their land. The word revive stems from a combination of two Latin words. Re, we would, we would understand, is the word again. Vivere means to live. Revive literally means to live again. To live again. On that day, God gave Nineveh mercy. They were supposed to be destroyed. But God instead allowed them to live again. God sent Revival to Nineveh, a wicked, idolatrous, Gentile city that experienced the mercy and revival of God. Friend, is revival possible today? Can God extend that same mercy to Whitehall, Montana? to Whitehall Baptist Church, to, to the towns that are around here? Can, can God still do that today? Well, my answer you, to you this morning is, is no. You say, well, Kyle, that's depressing. Yeah. My answer is no if, there it is, if we continue down the path we've just always gone. See, if Nineveh heard the message from Jonah and didn't change anything, Destruction was what their future held. But the people of Nineveh got serious about responding to God's word. Listen, they were so serious, they made their animals fast, okay? 
Now listen, I know the price of hay right now, so some of you are thinking, maybe this is a good idea, okay, you know? They, they were serious about it. They weren't messing around. God, we, we are getting serious about it. And they responded to God's word, and it turned that city upside down for Christ and changed the heart of God from judgment to mercy. In church, this morning, if we just keep doing the things that we've always done, things, we're going to continue to see the same results, and revival will never take place. But if like the Gentiles of Nineveh, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face, and listen, this is huge, and turn from our wicked way then we can hear from heaven. And he can forgive our sins and heal our land. Proverbs chapter number 28, verse number 13, is is an interesting verse. It says this, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. We would understand that. If we cover our sins, he says, listen, as long as you try to bury your sins, as long as you try not to deal with them, you're not going to prosper. So he gives us the answer. How, how can you prosper? How can you have revival, if we can say? How can you live again? But whoso confesseth shall have mercy. No, 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 that's, that's not what it says. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You want to hear the truth? Most of us are good at confessing. I am a husband, okay? (laughs) I've learned to be good at confessing, okay? (laughs) Honey, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then the next day, honey, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And not even the next, like an hour later, okay? You know, we, we go through this. It's like a natural routine, okay? And like women, ladies here, you understand this is coming, right? You know, you, you understand this is, this is going to happen. But here, here's, here's what makes the difference. If we're just constantly doing that over and over again, eventually our wives look at us and say, I don't think you're learning the lesson here, okay? No, what, when, does, when does prospering happen, right, in our marriage? Not just when we confess, but when we forsake what we've been doing. You know, as Christians, we're really good at forsaking and we're terrible, or really good at confessing and we're terrible at forsaking. God, will you forgive me? Oh, thank you. God, you, I know the Bible tells us that if I call upon the name of the Lord, that he'll save me. It, that, 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 if I, that if I confess that, that he is faithful and just to forgive me of sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness and praise God, I claim that promise and, and thank you, God, for forgiving me for my, my sin. And then tomorrow I'm going to go out and do it again. Why? Because we're great at confessing and horrible at forsaking. Repentance in its essence has the the idea of turning from our sins. Turning from the ways that we've always done things. Joel, I know, like, hey, listen, we're getting to those books of the Bible that we just don't go to. Why? Because we can't find them, okay? Joel chapter number 2. The Bible tells us this in, in verse number 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even unto me with all your heart and with, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And listen what he says in the next verse. 
This is, this is so important. And rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth Him of the evil. What, what is the Bible saying? This is, this is fascinating. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. I grew up in a church that, listen, friend, I'm just going to be honest with you. They were way more emotional than you are, okay? I'm just telling you, like, people in services, like, they actually, like, when the preacher said things, like, they would actually, like, speak back, okay? Like, and when I say speak back, it wasn't like they were like, that's a terrible illustration. It wasn't like that, okay? They were like, amen, okay? And that's good, okay? It's good to, to, to go back and forth in a message and to have conversation. In fact, it's biblical uh, to do that. And so, like, that, that was the way it was. But here's what I found out. Sometimes... You can get in services where you, I mean, you get all emotional and you're all excited. And, and there's nothing wrong with emotion if, if it's, you know, like of God, you know, if it's just to get attention, like that's not right. But, but I mean, like it's good to feel what you're standing on. And, and, and like we, they'd be all emotion and, and, and people would be saying things and, and people would come forward and it was almost like, you know, they'd come forward at the end of a, end of a service and, and it was good. But, but there were some that did it every service. And, and, and it was almost like they would come to the service, they kneel down, and, they would pray, and then they stand up, and it was almost like, you see me. You know, it was like, wow, they're so, they're so amazing. You know, it was just like, it, it was all for show, all for appearance. Now, now, listen, the truth of the matter is, oftentimes it was me that was getting up and going, oh, you know, look at me. You know, and, and like, that, that's the truth, is, is many times it's us. And we do the things that we do for parents. Can I tell you what it is? Oh, we're real good at renting our garment. Why? Because that's what everyone else sees. You know what real good out at church? Plain church. I mean, we get up in the morning. I mean, some of you even picked out your clothes last night. I mean, like, you're, like, way ahead. And, and, and like, you get it all ready, and, yeah, I'm going to wear this nice thing and all this stuff. And we walk into the church, and, and listen, we, we, we all know how this goes, okay? As you're on your way to church, like, it's, like, knock down, throw down, like, drag out, like, ah, kids, rah, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's intense, right? And then it's, it's amazing. The greatest transformation in any Christian's life, I mean, many would say it's salvation, but I, I think it's whenever you stepped out of your vehicle to come into church, okay? Listen, you, 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 you get out of your vehicle, and all of a sudden, smiles on the faces, everybody is happy, and life is perfect, and, and you walk in, and listen, it's all about appearances. It's all about the garment. And you know what God says in Joel chapter number two? He says, I don't want your garment. I don't care about that. He says, rend your heart. I want real repentance. You want to see me work? I want it to be real. Not just playing a game. God isn't interested in our outward show. God has lost, God's word has lost its, its power in us because our hearts have grown so hard. 
because we've said no so many times and refused to respond to the Lord. And as long as that remains, revival, no, it isn't possible. But don't forget, as we said the first week, you and I are Nineveh. And just like Nineveh, we have an opportunity to turn from our sins and our ways and turn to a loving, gracious God. Just like Nineveh, we can see homes restored. Just like Nineveh, we can experience the mercy of God. Just like Nineveh, we can see souls saved from hell and lives changed. Just like Nineveh, we can have revival. And can I tell you, that promise in Second Chronicles 7.14, yes, was given to Israel, but listen, we can, we can claim it today as well. If my people, which are called by my names, will, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I grew up in a church that was fairly large. I've mentioned before, and I remember when I entered the seventh grade and entered into the youth group at our church. It was, it was a pretty big deal. At that time, our, our, our youth group was running anywhere from about 25 to, to 30 teenagers, which was, which was a decent-sized youth group. And, and in our church, we were anywhere from probably three, 300 to 350 people regularly. It was a decent-sized church there in southern Indiana. And, and I remember as, as a young person, as, as we started into that youth group, I mean, like, it was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. I loved it, and I, I loved that youth group, but I'll never forget, a little ways down the road, I think we were probably, maybe my sophomore year, freshman, sophomore year in in high school, I remember there were a couple of us guys that, listen, you're going to think we're crazy, teenagers oftentimes are just naive, okay, but but we actually believed that revival was possible, okay, I know, you're like, Kyle, come on, how naive, listen, we actually believed it, though, and and we said, you know, hey, we're going to claim the the promises of God, and and I mean, there's freshman, sophomore, and in high school, we said, you know, we're, we're going to claim God's promises. And, and we, there's, there was four of us. We started getting together on Wednesday night after our, our Wednesday night service, and we began to pray. And we say, God, will you send revival to our youth group? Now, we, we started doing that, and then there was a group of girls in our youth group. They kind of got it, got, got, caught that as well, and, and they got together, and they would go, and they would pray. And us guys, we, we would get together, and we would pray, and, and we'd say, God, would you send revival to our youth group? God, we want to see you work. We want you to see you change life. And, and listen, we started praying and asking God to do something. Now, listen, friend, I, I don't know for sure, for certain, that, that, it was the re- that, 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 that what happened next was because specifically of that, but I have no doubt that it, it at least was in part. When I graduated from our youth group, our youth group had grown from 20 to 30 teenagers to over 100. Our church had doubled in size, over doubled in size from, from about 300, 350 to, to, to over 700, 800 people. I mean, God was, was blessing. We saw people saved. We saw the baptismal water stirred on a regular basis. We saw God send, can I tell you what it was? Revival. I mean, that's the only way that I can explain it. I mean, it was just God... Sending revival. You say, Kyle, do, do you really think that God can send revival like that? Do you really think that it's possible? Do you really think that, that in Whitehall, Montana, 
That in a church in, in Whitehall, Montana, I mean, people ask, where do you live? And you say, Whitehall, Montana. They say, well, where is that? Okay, nobody knows where Whitehall is. I mean, come on. I mean, do you really think in Whitehall, Montana, that, that a church could, could be filled and, and, and that we could see, you know, a hundred or, or more people in, in a church? I mean, that, Kyle, do you really think that that's even possible? Do you really think that we could see people get saved and, and see, see people baptized and, and, and added to the church and people discipled and growing in Christ? Do you, do you really believe that could happen? Well, if I could, I, I'd like to answer you just like the king answered. Who can tell? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but, but can I tell you, I, I, I'm going to tell you the same thing that the king said. I'm going to do all that I can do. And mercy is in God's hands. Friend, this morning, hear God's word. Just like Nineveh. Can I encourage you, don't just let it be another Sunday. Choose today, just like Nineveh, to respond. To turn. To take off the garment and say, God, here's my heart. That is where real revival begins. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed today as we conclude our service. We're going to have a time that we call an invitation. And basically, this is an invitation for you to have a time to spend a few moments with the Lord. And listen, you can do that right where you're seated. You can come to an altar, just like I mentioned, the church that I grew up in, it was often filled with people that came to an altar. What is that? It's an opportunity just to come and, and really just cementing something in your heart before the Lord and saying, God, I, 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 need to, I need to make some decisions for you. And Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're just, I mean, the Lord spoke to your heart and you say, listen, things aren't what they ought to be. They're not, not where they should be in this morning. God spoke to my heart and there's some areas of my life that I need to not only confess, but I need to forsake. And God's spoken to me about that this morning. Oh, friend, I'd encourage you to spend some time with the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and, and listen, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Kyle... You talked about going to heaven. You talked a little bit about hell. And Kyle, that makes me nervous because I don't know for sure where I'm going. Oh, listen, friend, the Bible is very clear. It tells us not only can, can you, you be pretty confident, you can know 100% sure that you're going to spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven. And the Bible tells us we're all sinners. Nobody can get there on their own. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you received his gift, his payment that he made for you, you can have eternal life. Well, how do you do something like that? I mean, it's an intangible gift. It's not, I mean, it's not like a physical. How do you do that? Well, the Bible tells us that if we call upon the name of the Lord, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God, that Jesus Christ, not only did he die, but he rose from the grave, the Bible says that you can be saved. You can have eternal life. And friend, if you've never done that before, that's where it all starts. You can just come just like the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, will you forgive me for my sins? I'm trusting in you as my Savior. Oh, friend, this morning for every person in this room, I hope you ask the Lord to examine your heart and your life 
and respond to him. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, we're going to have the music play. Let's stand together.